fine. <laughs> like, whatever. I get you. Uh, all right. Hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that tells you everything will be okay, but it's all just quarantine kayfabe <laughs> all the time. I am Max. And I am JR. How's it going? Uh, it's pretty good. I worked out, actually. Did, found one of those, uh, I know, found one of those, uh, at home body weight workout things. And I actually did it five days this week. And it was one of those, like, you know, the, uh, the old adage, should I, should I tweet or I want to tweet this is what I'm saying important or fun no but like so i do this thing that anytime i start actually like lifting weights or doing any kind of weight workout the very first thing i do is shred my quads so that i cannot go downstairs upstairs is fine (laughs) going down them is nearly impossible so i did that monday and then i actually pushed through that for the first time in my entire life and uh continued to do the workout the rest of the week and by the end of the week my my thighs don't hurt it's incredible the rest of my arms are not great but yeah hooray hooray and yourself oh uh, you know just non-stop anxiety like about everything i uh i have thrown myself into i'm so I did a I did a dumb uh kit bash on a Lego set. Oh yeah, I saw that. And uh I was riding high off of that, so I decided to like actually try and do something. So I'm going I bought with like the last of my birthday money. I bought a uh the War Machine Buster lego set uh and i'm gonna kitbash that into uh nimrod so uh and i i so i've figured out how things are going to work like i figured out because by and large it's mostly a matter of replacing uh parts in a direct one-to-one like gray part becomes white whatever um there were some parts i'm going to rework uh just to make them look more nimrody uh and i also i changed the hips because the buster sets have them kind of squatty uh and nimrod is always a very like stand up straight kind of bot so I adjusted the hips so that it's a straight leg um, and stuff like that. And I figured out, I found the pieces that will work for a new head. So I've just got a, the, the hardest part is going to be printing decals with a Nimrod face on them and uh-huh. putting them on that. Yeah. Um, so that they lay straight so that's uh 
that's kind of kept me somewhat sane, uh, as has, uh, as has, you know, just the fact that I'm teaching Moira. Um, but like Thursday, I think I just, I couldn't, I laid on the couch all day and I was just like, (laughs) like, so I'm, I'm now behind in her schoolwork and I've got to make that up. (sighs) <sighs> whatever I, may, that makes it sound like I'm doing it for her but I mean I'm behind well, in it's a uh, yeah. it's a I imagine it's a very collaborative effort between you and her like you both have to do it you both have work to do in order to succeed um, right well yeah. yeah I mean you know we wa- we play a video from her teacher saying this is what you have to do and then I kind of help her through like the this is what we're doing this is the concept behind it and then like she does it and uh stuff like that but yeah like i you know people talk about emotional bandwidth and i just did not have it that day yeah i was i i just couldn't even so whatever uh other other stu- other news. We have a bunch of new followers on Facebook. Hooray! Uh, like we've uh, nearly doubled the number of people that liked our Facebook page. So thanks for that. Yeah. We're getting huge, like comparatively huge amounts of traffic. So thanks. Um, Welcome. You know, subscribe. Uh, Give us ratings on Facebook and, uh, or not Facebook, iTunes and Google Play. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, news wise, there's not a lot, there's no news. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, yeah. It's mostly just like everybody's trying to weather this whole situation. And, uh, yeah, um, we we did tell you about the uh, creators for comic stuff last week. Of course, I didn't realize when we talked about it on Saturday that by the time I posted the episode on Tuesday, those were all would all be over. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, but Jim Lee is doing a bunch of art auctions. He's basically drawing, if I'm not mistaken, one new piece every day for two months and auctioning them off. Good God. uh, Yeah, so uh, check that out. I wish I had half that work ethic. (sighs) Tell me about it. Holy shit. But then I guess if I did, I'd be Jim Lee. (laughs) I'd be at that level. But, like, Jim Lee doesn't fucking half-ass his drawings. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Like, if he gives you a sketch, I've seen sketches from him. You have a Jim Lee sketch, don't you? From no. a con. Okay. No. That must have been... Was he? Did he? Anyway. But yeah, I've seen Jim Lee sketches and from cons, and it's like, he did this in a half an hour? What the fuck? Like, yeah. no way. You shut up. Yeah. You're lying. And then he got lunch. Shut your dirty whore mouth. Uh, yeah. Very complex stuff. Yeah. Draws um, a Wolverine like nobody else. Uh, I mean, I, I am, I'm a big fan of Jim Lee's art. I, he needs the right anchor, uh, for sure. 
but he I'm a big fan of of his stuff uh have been since I was a kid uh we're learning I yeah. am learning a lot about inkers having gone yeah. through this and just being yeah like, oh god like the wrong inker a a less talented inker can make or break the way a book looks I direct you toward the, yeah. I direct you toward Eternals. Uh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. it is. It's it's one of those things that you know. Uh, when I was when I was younger and like chasing Amy came out, the whole freak out over tracers thinking, yeah, uh, was was a funny bit and everything. But no, like the the fact is, everybody is really make or break in these situations. Color can have a huge effect on things, uh, and lettering can, you know, the right lettering can completely change how you read a line. Um, lettering how you relate to everything lettering Um, is the most subtle part of comics collaboration comics creation collaboration because they don't get to do big fuck off splashy things a lot um Mm -hmm. and when they do like god what was it it was an issue of man thing we read like three months ago maybe more definitely more because i think i was still in pittsburgh but uh that they it was quiet for like well quiet there was no talking for the first eight or so pages and like the way that the lettering worked it was just so fucking evocative because like there was like i think there was a woman walking down a tunnel and like the clicking and clacking of her heels in the tunnel and like the way that that worked and like it really it's the most subtle but one of the more immersive things when it's right and yeah 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 absolutely yeah and uh yeah so i mean the the big question the big question at this point is what are things going to look like when this is all over and you know the the frustrating thing about the frustrating thing about it and this is this is semantic but i do think it's an important distinction to make um is there are a lot of people that talk about can things in their current form survive this? And when they do, they word it as, can comic books survive coronavirus? And I hate that. Because, yes. Yeah. Y- yes. Because yeah. That, that's, like, that's like saying, like, can baseball survive a doping scandal? Yeah. The question is, can the... Can, Major League Baseball survive a doping scandal? Okay, but there's a distinction between Major League Baseball and baseball. Yeah. And it's one of those things, 
you know, even if the entire industry over disappeared overnight, there would still be people making comics. Yeah. Um, even if the entire distribution side of things as it stands disappeared, Marvel and DC would probably still be chugging along and figuring out a new way to do. Th- so I think it's important in those conversations to be clear what you're talking about. Can comic book stores survive coronavirus? I don't know. That's that's a good question. Like, yeah, the big ones probably can, um, but like the the street level, like I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Can the comic book industry survive? Yeah. Most likely. Yeah, not most likely. Day. It will not be unchanged. Like, yeah. There will, it will be... be different to some degree. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, sorry. I have not read a whole lot about this. Uh, so, but I think I definitely agree with you that there will be, like, there will still be comics. Yeah. There will definitely still be superhero books, too. Like, yeah. you do not have to worry about that. Um, yeah. We do not have to worry about comics in general. There will be comics. How those comics are, I'm going to say, moved, right? Like, Yeah, how deli- you get them. Well, How you get them will, and who's, who knows? And like, who's producing them and how often, if we're talking about like the big two? Uh, yeah. Then that's going to be different. Um, and something I read was saying that Marvel and DC are exploring their options beyond Diamond right now. Yeah, and um, they should. They totally should. But I, it's just like the 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 fact that they're doing that. It's like, yeah. This is going to weather this somehow. Now, how how it will all look when it's all said and done, that's a question mark. But, you know, there's going to be comics to read. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Um, so. Spider-Man will last until there is no more oxygen. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you want it or not, <laughs> there will always yeah. be Spider-Man. Um, well, yeah, uh, but yeah, comics will survive. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if it's somebody throwing their stuff up on the internet, even if it's somebody self-publishing and, you know, whatever it's, it's gonna survive. Um, you know, so yeah. Um, speaking of comics, Comics. Comics! Uh, we start this week with Ms. Marvel. And uh, so Ms. Marvel number one has a cover by John Romita and is written by Jerry Conway, penciled by John Bashima, inked by Joe Sinnott, colored by Marie Severin, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Jerry Conway. I do want to say, when I'm doing the credits for these covers... Sometimes I list the letterer, and sometimes I don't. Uh, that's 
because I can't always find who the letterer is on a cover. But that's not to say there was obviously lettering on this cover. Somebody did it. Yeah. Uh, it may have been John Costanza who lettered the issue, or it could have been somebody else. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't source that. So I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is this is an inter- This is an interesting issue. So this uh, is an interesting thing. Because, like, take everything you think you know about Carol Danvers and toilet it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because this is not what I thought was happening. Because it's, it's just a great, well, great is pushing it. It is surprising how much different this introduction to Miss Marvel is than what I thought it was going to be. Um, well, and it's also surprising how because because i re- tried to read ms marvel a long time ago a lot i couldn't even tell you how long ago it was um but it's been a long time since i did so and in doing it now in light of the movie it's surprising that certain things carry over um but so yeah they okay. do they kind of they kind of do uh they so do. Let, let's do the reader's digest version here um so carol danvers is in new york she's left her job in the security field because the situation with marvell has utterly wrecked her her credibility as a security officer so since then she's been writing and she comes to New York. She is, uh, she is offered the, uh, editorship of the Bugles women's magazine by J Jonah Jameson. I do like, she kind of lays down the law in that it's like, it's not going to be recipes. It's not going to be fat, just fashion. Like we're going to care cover serious shit. And, uh, Jonah's just like, and she's like so what's the salary because i'm thinking 30 and he's like 20 and she's like 30 and he's like 22 and she's like what about 30 and he's like 25 and so she gets the 30 and uh, and i i love how the interview process basically goes you're going to hire me this is, we're not going to do the thing that you want to do with this magazine that is yours. Uh, but you're going to hire me, we're going to do it my way, and you're going to pay me this much. And she yeah. just manages to get Jonah, like, I don't know if he was having a particularly weak-ass day, but he's just like, fine. Like, yeah. you could have said no, dude. It's your it's your magazine. But, like, it's awesome that she's able to just be, like, to just handle him. She a... steamrolls Jonah, and yeah. I love it. I love that. Um, she meets Mary Jane, who fangirls over her. Uh, I also like and... that P- Peter is on the cover. Very, like, prominent Peter head. And he's in the issue for three panels, one of which is his back. Um, yeah, yeah, great. he's it's like great. not in this to amount to anything. It's awesome. Um, 
But yeah, so, and then, <coughs> somewhat unconnected to that, there's Ms. Marvel, who stops some dudes robbing a bank. Um, however, it turns out that the guys robbing the bank were a cover for Scorpion robbing the bank, and the thugs that he hired were kind of a distraction for him getting what he needs. Um so what we find out in in this is uh that Carol Carol is unaware that she's Ms. Marvel. Uh she has blackouts and migraines. She doesn't know that the migraines are a result of the seventh sense that people constantly forget Ms. Marvel had. Um and that by extension Rogue had after she absorbed her powers, but that was just kind of dropped. Um, she gets these migraines, she blacks out, then Ms. Marvel does her thing. Ms. Marvel is out here, like, she goes, at one point, I think in the next issue, uh, or no. No, it's this one. Um, she's at the Daily Bugle office, saving uh jonah from the scorpion and she's like why am why does this place seem so familiar i've never been here before um and so it's interesting the amnesia side of things that is coming across in this that they then used in the captain marvel movie um it's not a direct one-to-one but it's uh, it's definitely the seeds of that, and so that's interesting. A um, couple things I do want to talk about here before we move on to the next issue. Number one is Carol's costume. Um, Carol's costume was apparently a point of contention for a long time. Uh, when you first when you first start reading Ms. Marvel, she's wearing a a costume that is somewhat reminiscent of Captain Marvel. Um, except, you know, less high, high cut (laughs) on the legs and the midriff is just like open. Um, Also up to like her sternum. Like, yeah. And also there's nothing, there's almost nothing on her back either. Yeah. Uh, and this was a this was a point of contention and so um when chris claremont took over he then started trying to bring dave cockram on board uh and dave cockram hated that and so the first thing they were able to con- get marvel to concede on was they filled in the midriff uh starting with number 9 but then eventually in issue number 20 they introduce a new costume which is the one anyone who read, you know, about Carol prior to her becoming Captain Marvel is familiar with the the Ms. Marvel costume. If you watched X-Men, the animated series, it appeared in that, stuff like that. It's got the lightning bolt, and yeah. But apparently Dave Cockrum went through like 40 different ver- different designs trying to get one that Marvel would approve. And uh, the closest, to, the the best he could do was the black Ms. Marvel 
with like the really high boots, but then also kind of upper ass um, and stuff like that. But like, it's funny because one of the one of the things I enjoy is um, there's a there's a feature on comic book resources called Comic Book Ur- Urban Re- Legends Revealed, and one of their old ones dealt with Ms. Marvel's costume. And there was actually a drawing Jim Shooter did for, or I'm sorry, Dave Cockrum did for Jim Shooter's birthday, where it was <laughs> uh, referencing their battles over her costume. And so it's so low cut that her her breasts are out and she uses them to concuss Jim Shooter <laughs> and stuff like that. And Dave's just like, yeah, see, it doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> anyway, happy birthday, I guess. <laughs> um, but the other thing I want to talk about is um, it is really easy to uh, to lose track of how important the the um, prefix "Ms." was in the feminist movement. Uh, or so here's here's the thing the idea behind ms is that for a long time in english it had been you're a mister for life regardless of what your marital situation is you are a mister uh whereas if you were a woman you were miss until you were married and then you were misses and so your honorific was determined solely by a man and so for a long time one of the battles that were that one of the battlegrounds where this uh where the femi- the feminist quote-unquote agenda, I hate using that word, but I don't know what else to use here, uh, was to rectify that situation, and Ms. was one of the things that was used. Now, you know, anymore, you have others. There's the, I'm not sure how to say it, how to say it MX, for people who are non-binary or what have you, that's like mix? I, I'm not sure how to say that in... I don't know. I'll have to look. But Ms. was sort of the first one of those that was just like, yeah, Miss or Mrs. doesn't really work for me. I'm going to go with this. Uh, so having a comic book character adopt that at this time was kind of a big deal. Um, so, yeah. Um, just uh, an interesting thing. Anyway. It looks like you're right mix uh but land hard on the k mix yeah okay um hmm. all right uh so ms marvel number two has a cover by john bashima dick giordano and danny crespi uh is colored by don warfield and edited by jerry conway um so uh I had two things I did not mention about the previous issue. A, Carol defeats 
the scorpion. Scorpion and, had kidnapped uh, Jonah, and then Carol came and threw him into the vat of acid that uh, Scorpion was attempting to lower Jonah into. And uh, kind of fucked him up. And, uh, oh, so yeah. I kind of, I like that. Uh, but... We uh, find out that the guy that... Scorpion bought this lab from Dr. Corwin Corman. Whom we've seen before in other things, but I don't remember specifically what. Spider-Man, I think. And uh, Did we? I'm pretty sure. Um, Spider-Man or Hulk. Maybe even Marvel. Captain Marvel. Okay. Pretty sure we've seen him before. Doesn't matter. Uh... Scorpion bought this lab from nope. him. What was it? His uh, his first appearance was Ms. Marvel number one. That feels bullshit, but I'll have to believe you. Um, I'm just going by uh, the uh, the, by the, uh, the wiki. Anyway, okay, so. At the time, he had told Scorpion that he was getting out of the villain game, because I guess he was an established uh, science dude for villains. And uh, the next issue, we see him as AIM has taken Scorpion's body and is attempting to not only revive him, but also indoctrinate him into the the AIM way. Uh, far less villainous than Amway. And he... They... Kerwin is there with AIM because he used to design weapons with AIM. Uh, and he's like, I've got it. I'm Screw it. I'm going to have a direct approach to this villainy thing. I'm now the destructor, and I'm going to go get Miss Marvel for you. And AIM people are like, yes, that is exactly what I want. Uh, it goes poorly. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have... We have a back, sort of a flashback between Mary Jane. Carol takes Mary Jane to uh, lunch, and uh, they're having. They have a really nice relationship. I like it. Um, yeah. Because they're, they're just talking about, like, Mary Jane's photography, because she's trying to get into that, but also, like, how, how the magazine is going with Carol, and in the middle of it, and she's kind of like explaining how her and Marvel fell out, and also like the battle with Young Rog and all of that. Um, and then, then she gets a migraine and is like, "I gotta go. I'm sorry. Uh, I guess you have to pay for it, girl with no money. Bye." And uh, <laughs> I really, she just leaves her at the table, and I was like, Are "You stiffing, sticking Mary Jane with the bill." Yeah. She's gonna dash. She has no money. <laughs> uh, but we cut to, or cut back to uh, Kerwin, who has actually found the psychomagnetron cave where everything is all fucking melted. And his whole deal is he's trying to find Kree weapons that he believes are stashed there so that he can actually take on uh, Marvell. Scorpion gets loose and fucks up some shit. Uh, probably the only really important thing here is that she and Carol ends up going to see her psychiatrist friend who puts her under hypnosis and sort of drags the 
story of the end of Captain Marvel, her involvement with Captain Marvel, out. And at that point, she, and the first time that she changes into uh, Ms. Marvel, which she proceeds to do under hypnosis in front of his eyes. And at that yeah. point, Ms. Ms. Marvel's like, I gotta go, bye. And flies out his window to go fuck up the Scorpion more. Um, yeah. Destructor shows up at the end of this, and uh, they end up both knocking each other out, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the thing with the cave, uh, that's actually in three? No. I was looking right at it. Are you sure? Yeah. Because I, whatever. Okay. The anyway. Cave, the cave comes he, to a head. Oh, no, that was a flashback. He'd been to the cave before. Okay. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, the... They, they knock each other out. End of issue. Um, Ms. Marvel number three has a cover by Al Milgram and Joe Sinnott. Uh, was written by Chris Claremont and Jerry Conway, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Um, Ms. Marvel wakes up. Um, okay, so we wrap things up with the Destructor, who gets carried away by AIM. Um, and, uh, he winds up being... Uh, stuck in a in a brainwashing chair. Uh, Carol, meanwhile, um, gets word that there's something that there's a space flight going on down in Florida, and that it's going to have a female astronauts. She convinces Jonah to let her go down and cover it. Um, while she is there, uh, there is. Danger sense, of course, kicks in. Uh, Aim is like we gotta, we gotta destroy this, uh, this flight because we're Aim and we suck. So they fire a rocket at it, uh, which it turns out has the Doomsday Man robot in it, which Silver Surfer had previously destroyed. Ms. Marvel goes after the uh, rocket takes it down but in the process the doom she and the doomsday man fight they plunge to earth from the upper atmosphere and it's at this point that she discovers exactly how invulnerable she may be uh but then when she comes to she's just like oh shit i'm carol wait what uh so yeah um yeah she runs into the cyclomagnetron wreckage Psycho, right. psycho magnetron, psyche magnetron, and sort of is like, oh crap! I've been here before. I know who I am. Carol and I are the same person. I know who I am. Hooray! And like she had yeah. been doing, sort of. I. It's really difficult for me to decide if I like this or not because throughout these first few issues, she had Ms. Marvel had been doing things that. She was hyper-focused on what she was doing 
to the point that she would never give herself a minute to be interrogative about why any of this is what it is. Like, who am I? She would just be like, I don't know who I am, but I got to go beat up Scorpion. And it's like, well, yeah. yeah. Like, after that, if you want to take a couple of minutes, and she's like, nope, knock myself out, come back <laughs> it's, as Carol. Uh... It's not given enough room to breathe for this to be an be for this to feel like a payoff to anything. It's just kind of we did a thing for a couple of issues, but now we're not doing that anymore. Hooray! Yeah, um, uh, yeah but she also does like she knows that she has Cree that she, she keeps calling herself like a Cree warrior and that she has spawned strength yeah and all of that she's like i wonder why i know that but also i don't really have the time and yeah i i'm glad on the one hand it would have been maybe interesting to see this go off a little longer maybe interesting i'm not sold on that but on yeah. the other hand i'm kind of glad that we just picked a thing right yeah like no i early it wasn't going anywhere interesting enough to want to draw it out. Yeah. It hadn't gone anywhere interesting enough yet for this to feel like a worthwhile payoff. It was just kind of an abortive attempt at something that they're just like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. And it's like, all right. Well, so I, I have to congratulate them as a creative group to be like, is this working? Is this anything? This is nothing, is it? This is yeah. This isn't working at all. All right, bye. Yeah. Uh, all right. No, that that require that does. I mean, well done. But because this is book three, they clearly decided at after two that they were like, well, let's give it a shot for two issues or for a story. If it's doing nothing, then we got to pull the plug. And by the end of by the beginning, while they started writing three, they were like, this is not working. Let's get her to NASA as fast as possible to undo this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Captain Marvel, or sorry, Ms. Marvel number four. It I really has want to a, call her. Go yeah. Ahead. Uh, cover by Ed Hannigan, Frank Giacoya, and Danny Crespi. Written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Jim Mooney, colored by Janice Cohen, and lettered by Irving Watanabe. Uh, so she she and the Doomsday Man fight in the cave where the Psyche Magnetron turned her into Ms. Marvel. Uh, Carol remembers having met the guy who created the doomsday machine and warning him that it was uncontrollable. She then decides that, um, having seen the plans for the robot there, uh, that he had to have taken her advice. And that, so she thinks back to the plans, realizes that there's a seam that was there, uh, that wasn't on the plan, so she yanks it off. She's able to pull out a control box, which then gets knocked out of her hand, but she, like, throws something to hit the button, at which point the Doomsday Man shuts down. Uh, Destructor is there looking for Kree weapons, but he freaks out and starts... Well, so he gets... He finds a box in the the rubble of the Psyche Magnetron. 
And he's like, ooh, something good in here. My sensors are all over the place. And she's like, no, don't. He opens it and the overload of energy causes him to lose all his senses. Yeah. Which sounds fucking terrible. Like, you poor bastard. (laughs) Um, But so he flips out and starts just blasting everywhere which causes a cave-in. At this point, her friends from the uh, from the base show up and they dig Carol out. Um, she returns to New York, at which point uh, Dr. Bennett, uh, the psychiatrist, calls her and he's like, uh, Ms. Marvel, we need to talk about her. Um, one, thing so, I yeah. say, one thing I will say about this fight that this is the kind of thing that we we would not congratulate a book for now, but at the time, you know, we do have to remember the era that we're reading comics from. Um, yeah, Carol gets Carol gets to have to riff and joke and uh, talk shit and do all of that stuff as much as any of the other heavy hitters. It's yeah, really like. Black Widow to this point doesn't get to do that as often. Um, yeah. And like while the fight is happening. Um, Sue never does. To this day. Yeah. Um, I, and me, you know, to this day, Sue is a different, that's a different animal. But like uh, Sue never, at least in this era, she doesn't get to have as much fun during the fight. Like the with the, the words. Um, yeah, and I think it's cool that they were like, "No, we're gonna make, we're gonna give a woman superhero the same amount of agency that we give all of our other men superheroes." At least as far as like, she gets to kick ass and have fun doing it. Like, like she's clearly yeah. in, she's clearly in peril, and she understands her peril. But at the same time, like, she she rips the thing out of the back of the robot's head. And it falls to the ground, and she threw she throws a rock at the button on it, and she's like, "Shit! Come to think of it, I don't know what that was. It could have been the tape deck." And yeah. like, that's a funny joke. Like, yeah, Sue never gets to have that shit. Um, well, it's just this is great. this is Marvel's first female-led hero book, isn't it? I mean, it depends. Well, I mean, I know, like, Black Widow is technically the leader of the champions at this point, but well, that's I, an ensemble I'm, book. I'm thinking The Cat or... Oh, um, uh, that's true. Or even Tigra later on. Yeah. Well, of course, Tigra, Tigra was appearing in, like, a spotlight-type book. Whereas the cat was actually a female-led book, it just didn't last very long. But you're right. God, that sucks. I love. I really liked that book. Yeah. Don't like Tiger. Really is a. It really is a pity. Well, Tiger, they Tiger is a whole separate issue. But anyway, Mar- uh, Tiger is number five. Tiger is a whole podcast. Miss Marvel number five. Uh, Ms. Marvel number five. Covered by Ed Hannigan and Joe Sinnott, lettered by John Costanza. This one, uh, so we we lead 
with um, uh, we lead with she goes and talks to Michael Bennett and he's like I know you're Ms. Marvel and he's like let me help you and she's like fuck off and like leaves uh, the re- the rest of the issue is she goes to Stark Industries to talk to um to talk to them about su- their female employees um and how Stark Industries has a lot of um a lot of uh female employees and the like but uh the thing that I kind of like is she does she does kind of hold their feet to the fire because she's like, you know, the highest ranking female employee you have here is heads up a minor research installation in, I think, Cincinnati or something Cincinnati like that. Or, Cincinnati or Cleveland. Yeah. Um, She's like, you know, like. So when when she gets there, the guy who meets her, it's Abe Klein from Iron Man. Um, and he's like, you know, we, we elevate the people who are right for the job. And she's just like, yeah, but do you? And so I thought that was really well handled. Uh, but while she's there, she has the, the, uh, seventh sense, uh, kick in and she, um, or she'd had a kick in previously, but she didn't understand what it was on about. But then it turns out while she's there, uh, there is a super truck that is hauling radioactive material and it is being guarded in its, in its inaugural run by the vision. She realizes that it is an issue. So she goes to try and stop it. However, vision doesn't know who the fuck she is. So they fight. Um, and I thought, I thought this battle was really interesting because she deals with vision in a pretty smart way. Yeah. Uh, She uses the electrical cables underneath this bridge. And when he phases through it, then it fucks him up and kind of takes him out of the fight for a minute. It's Uh, a good fight because it does two things for our hero. One, it establishes that she can kind of hang with Vision. Like, yeah. even though at this point her powers are, because of the being exposed to the power source in the previous issue, like her powers are a little flighty. But yeah. she's rolling with it. And even <coughs> with her powers being a little flighty, she can kind of hang with Vision, who is A, way more established, and B, one of the more powerful fucking Avengers. Like, yeah. this is really good work b when she realizes that because her powers are being kind of flighty on her she's like okay i gotta outsmart him and then does like this yeah. is also the vision one of the smarter members of the adventures so yeah. it's really good work to like get me on her side even though i think this heroes fighting hero sucks but like this is one of the only this is, this is one this of the only times where it's works. like it's doing work like it isn't, yeah, and it's doing work that isn't uh, pandering, or we got to do something here. It's like it is establishing things about Carol that I, or 
Ms. Marvel that I did not know based on mm -hmm. the previous issues. Like, this is how strong she is now. This is how smart she is now. And that, like, blah, blah, blah. It's still doing good work. And it's a decent-looking fight. The, the thing that's frustrating about this is we have counterpoints to both of these things uh, later in the week. Shh. Because on the one hand, we have Carol fighting and holding her own against Vision, which is good. On the flip side, we have the uh gene gray versus the fire lord fight which we already established last week was because they couldn't have her fight thor or silver surfer because they'd be emasculated and so it's like oh, we with one hand it giveth and with the other it take away, <laughs> taketh away um by the same token we've got this as far as heroes fighting heroes versus iron fist who were fighting Cap later, which is kind of frustrating in that it really is a misunderstanding and it would have been really... They had to contrive to make that happen because it's literally... Cap is looking at headlines about Iron Fist and does not see the one in which he is cleared of the death he was implicated in and the guy didn't even die. <laughs> and so it's like... It's right there on the screen. Why? But whereas like this, this, it's a it, it's, it's a, a matter of she's not established enough for Vision to know who she is. So okay, like and she's that makes sense. And her inner inexperience also informs the maybe don't just make a barricade, you dummy. Like yeah, this is how you get heroes like heroes. Like, but it's yeah. it's a way that makes sort of sense like i don't know it i this is the least irritating heroes fighting heroes in a while uh yeah. so yeah all right anyway yeah. they fight we find out the driver was an android uh being controlled by modok aims still real pissed at her they stop it uh hooray yeah the plan the plan was to irradiate new york i guess so sure a aim does aim does evil Hooray. Yep. So, Iron Fist number 11 uh, has a cover by Gil Kane and Danny Crespi and is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Dan Adkins, colored by Don Warfield, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Uh, Iron Fist goes to the hospital to check on... Uh, Colleen in the wake of her father uh, losing his mind due to Angar the Screamer. He meets with Misty. Uh, while we're there, we have a brief tie-in to X-Men as Misty's roommate, Jean, is getting ready to be released from the hospital post-Phoenix manifestation. Um, I like all of that. I know yeah. it's it's a real like s silly thing to really like a cameo by a character, but this is where we learn that she's le she's leaving the hospital, like that she's getting out. Yeah, um, it's not the kind of thing that you take the time to do in X Men because we've got other shit going on in X Men. Uh, but a couple of panels and a couple of throwaway panels in Iron Fist 
to just establish that story is nice. And the fact that he does have a legitimate tie into this through Misty. Like that's, that is okay. Yeah. You can do this here. Uh, I, I, it's just, it's, it's nothing, it's not big, right? Like I'm, I'm not saying this is the best part of the issue or anything like that. It's just a nice thing to do. And this is a good place to do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like when we occasionally acknowledge that these characters occupy the same space. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, um, uh, the Wrecking Crew shows up and busts down the whole hospital and uh, takes Misty hostage to get Iron Fist to do something. Which is break into Avengers man- Mansion so that they can have a, and clear a path so that they can go kill Thor. Yeah. <clears throat> as far as they wanna they wanna take out the Avengers, but especially Thor. As far as like the fight goes, uh he does a pretty good job of like using them against themselves. Which it's is... a it's a really good fight because it's a believable fight in terms of it's very tempting to to when you have a character to want them to beat all comers um and that's that isn't what iron fizz does here first of all he takes some hits oh yeah and second of all most of most of what he gets in is like you said them <laughs> get it arranging it so that they hit each other right and uh it's very well done and contributes to iron fist doesn't feel overpowered here he he feels like he's fighting at the right level even as he's fighting guys that have taken on thor yeah like if that makes sense well he is he is smart that like this is a smart move for the character because he realizes how if he goes at him head on head or head on, he's fucked. Like this is way yeah. out of his weight class, regardless. So he and it's smart for the creators to be like, well, then what do we do with him? Well, you know, part of his training—I don't want to call it kung fu—but part of his training is uh, movement, right? Like martial arts isn't just punching yeah. dudes real hard. In fact, most of the time, it's not that at all. It's getting, it's putting yourself in positions, right? Like, and being able to leverage whatever you can uh, and managing movement. And he does fantastic at that. And the one time that he, so throughout these two issues, he actually, like, this is another thing that we're doing with Iron Fist right now, which is one of those, like, I don't know that I like it, but I don't hate it. Where he doesn't just power up the fist every other go, right? Like, yeah, he can't do that. If he did, he would sap himself dry. Um, yeah, and he uses the fist once with on a wrecking ball because he's gonna fucking smash it. Like, there's no way he can get out of the way. And right, like they equal each other out, but he's spent now. Like. You're yeah. done, you're done on that nonsense until Wrecker actually comes at him and he tries to do it again, but he just doesn't have 
doesn't have the gumption. Right. Well, because it's channeling his very life force, he can't just use it whenever he wants. Yeah. It's but I yeah, it's a I really like good fight. More I think it is it it is it establishes his bona fides without making him feel like a Mary Sue, which ugh, hate that right. hate you using s- that word. But stop. Yeah, don't don't. But you get you get what I'm saying. It's like it doesn't there. There's there's the concept of story armor. You know, oh yeah, somebody can do what they need to do as long as it's for the sake of the story. That doesn't feel like the case here. No. He does what he does, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's in the same weight class as the wrecking crew, but he's still able to you know, to handle things and not get his ass completely kicked. And the only way that they actually get him to stop fighting is by taking Misty hostage. Yeah. So it 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 does what it needs to do, but also like it's it's a very well balanced fight and that's that's something that i've got to give chris claremont credit for chris claremont back in the day you know like he could he could balance a fight really well um but anyway so right before we the only other sorry the last thing i was going to say about like brad as the start story is starting uh, or the fight is starting. Bulldozer comes flying through the the side of the building right at Misty, and Misty just stands there and fucking Olay his ass into a, yeah. into a goddamn wall with her arm, yeah. and he's like just completely befuddled by what the fuck just happened. And she just stands there and is like, "I fucking told you, don't run at me." Like I love her. At, in that, yeah. it does sort. It sort of sucks that, like, sake of the story thing, she gets. But she's way out of her weight class too. Like, but like she does get well, off. A- she has a bionic arm. A bionic arm and attitude is not going to help you against the wrecking crew. Right. Iron Fist is able to survive because of his martial arts training. Yeah. And I think if Misty did had that, she could have done exactly what. That's not a. That's not a diss on Misty. It's just a statement of Iron Fist has skills. Misty doesn't. Yeah. But um. But yeah, she's badass here. The only other thing I was going to mention is we have a slight continuation. Alan Kavanaugh, oh, yeah. uh, former IRA bomber, is on his way to the U.S. And there's dudes who are on the boat with him. Uh, one of them is the is Boomerang. It's Boomerang. Whatever. Boomerang. Not to be uh, confused with Captain Boomerang. Even though I don't blame you. Because... <laughs> They're, I mean, they're basically... They're both like white dudes, boomer, blonde boomerang, white dudes with weird accents. Boomerang is weird is story. like if you, if you took Captain Boomerang and stripped out the kitsch. <laughs> like, yeah, if, you, you know, if you it's like... Captain Boomerang and removed all the fun. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like because the rogues the rogues in Flash work because they're kitschy and retro. Um that's not to say that you can't take them seriously, but also by the same token, it's the rogues, you know, and so there's like an 
there's an air of fun to it that Boomerang doesn't have. Boomerang is over here just like, I'm going to be taken seriously as a villain because I've got boomerangs. And you're just like, no, man. Boomerang is a very specific bullseye. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's like, he's like if bullseye, if if Bullseye randomly decided, you know what? I'm too good at this. I need to handicap myself. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Iron Fist number 12. Um, <laughs> I just spit all over. Uh, Iron Fist number 12 uh, is has a cover by Dave Cockrum and Frank Giacoya. Uh, as and Danny Crespi, sorry, uh, and then is lettered by Joe Rosen. This issue starts uh, with Iron Fist infiltrating Avengers Mansion, and he quite handily gets past all of the Avengers Mansion's defenses, yes, only to stumble over Jarvis. <laughs> um, he uh, so there's a throwaway line that he's like. These defenses are amazing. It has taken me all day to get this far, and I'm only on the roof finally. Um, yeah. So, but he finally gets inside, and uh, yeah, immediately stumbles over Jarvis, who, and he's trying to like. I like this setup. It's it's not a great heroes fighting heroes because, like you said, if Cap would have taken an extra twenty seconds not even, to look at the next headline. He would have found out that Iron Fist was cleared and Ho was... Ho? How? How? How How was fine. Um, And actually working with the police to bring down his brother. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, And he... But the reason why he thinks Iron Fist is hurting Jarvis is because Jarvis straight tried to fall down some stairs and... uh, Danny, Iron Fist jumps and grabs him and takes all the stair fall for Jarvis. And he's, yeah. he's unin- Jarvis has ended up uninjured and is just basically fainted from the, oh God, a dude in a yellow mask is in my house. Yeah, and, that, and that's why this is frustrating is because if Jarvis was awake, he could have just explained... No, I don't think he's actually, like, he could have just been like, no, he actually saved my ass from cracking my head open. Let's maybe hear him out. Uh, Or if Cap had just read the next headline, we wouldn't be in this situation. But uh, what follows is interesting because, you know, Cap and Iron Fist, like, Iron Fist recognizes that even though Cap is not a full-blown martial artist, there's still he's still a very impressive fighter. Um, Cap is like, why why is he pulling his punches and so on and so forth? Uh, Iron Fist is amazed when he actually is forced to use the Iron Fist. That not only does Cap's shield hold up to it, but Cap is still like up and moving afterward. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, the way Iron Fist brings an end to it is. Uh, there is a chunk of machinery that is about to come down on him. And so he just stands there and then Cap is like, ah, oh, God, 
fuck. And so Cap is forced to save him. And it's at this point that Danny is able to be like, okay, so can I now tell you (laughs) what's going on? And so he explains and Cap is like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So Iron Fist calls in the wrecking crew. He brings them in and promptly brings them into the Avengers training room uh, where Cap and Iron Fist then proceed. The training room is set on Thor's training regimen. So they use the room to defeat the wrecking crew. Yeah. Um, so at that point, they Misty is able to burst into the room and finds them sitting on the uh, unconscious forms of the wrecking crew. Cap calls the police. Uh, he and Iron Fist part as friends. And uh, Misty and Iron Fist go to uh, get something to eat, I believe, or something. Yeah, I forget. There is a thing that we kind of like glossed over because it's annoying and I want it to go away. But like Danny's starting to be like, do I like Misty? I thought I liked Colleen. Maybe I like Misty, but Colleen's kind of pissed at me lately. Do I like yeah. Misty? And it's like, this is a love triangle I do not need. <laughs> I I like the idea of Danny and Misty. I like the idea of Danny and Colleen. Pick one. Yeah, I don't care. Pick one. Yeah. Misty, you know, both are fine. Uh, yeah, like as far as relationships, I wouldn't mind seeing if you got to do one of them. Uh, yeah, just fucking pick one, uh, and yeah. and I'll be happy. So yeah, I so. I hope that I hope that this does not last long because the I like the Misty Iron Fist uh, friendship. I think a little, a lot. Yeah, that was the best part of the fucking terrible TV show. Misty. Yeah. Misty was so good. All right. Yeah. X-Men 104 uh, has a cover by Dave Cockrum and Danny Crespi is, and is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Dave Cockrum, inked by Sam Granger, colored by Andrew Yanchis, lettered by Bruce D. Patterson, and edited by Archie Goodwin. <clears throat> the X-Men uh have been contacted and told to go to Muir Island. Uh this is the first time we get me This is this week has a lot of firsts in X-Men. It has uh, a but... lot of So I know that we had talked we keep talking about I I say this every goddamn week that we've been reading X-Men lately, but holy shit. Like just thing after thing after thing after thing happened. And yeah. like stuff that I just re- like when I first read through these oh so many years ago, and meaning two thousand three, I uh, I just it's still seventeen years, dude. Yeah, I, guess I hate to break it to you, but when I first read through all of these in one go, I was like, "Holy shit!" A lot of stuff happens after one hundred or after Giant Size just immediately, and it's like, yeah, yeah no, because like I think Proteus is in three weeks or whenever the hell we read x-men next well they yeah because they we they have te- our first they tease Brody's hint the of mutant x um yeah because so they're headed to muir island and there's a whole in, a whole thing 
about uh, a hovercraft. Uh, the only reason I mention this is that Angus McWhirter, the fisherman uh, the, whose aircraft they or hovercraft they basically steal uh, and then destroy, is winds up being killed by Proteus later. Oh wow! Um, but anyway. The whole reason they're going there is because uh, since his first appearance in Giant Size Fantastic Four, uh, <clears throat> Jamie Madrox has been on Muir Island helping out Moira, uh, and there's not been word from him for a while. So they, uh, since they're in the neighborhood, uh, Cyclops called them up and was like, hey, go check this out. So they they go. They're surprised to find that Moira is not just a uh, a housekeeper. Of course, in light of House of X and Powers of X, it's just like, oh, if you only knew. Yeah, Moira um, is a lot of not anything. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, their their hovercraft is destroyed, and they make it ashore to discover that Eric the Red has uh, come to Muir Island. The last time we saw Magneto was in Defenders. Um, and uh, they, uh, he was revert. He and the entire brotherhood were reverted to uh, infancy by alpha, the ultimate mutant. Um, since that happened, they've been at Muir Island. Um, we will discover way later on in the 90s that uh, Moira McTaggart has been experimenting on Magneto as an infant to try and curb his murderous tendencies. Uh, but, wow. yeah. Every time I learn um, something, I didn't know that, and every time I learn something about Moira McTaggart, I'm like, you and Xavier are perfect for each other. You yeah. weird, weird yeah. sort of monsters. Like, yeah. Um, I thought she was the nice one in this relationship. Nope. Um, but yeah, so Eric Eric the Red comes to Muir Island, uh, and ultimate. So the short version version is this: he he brings in, um, or he he releases Magneto and brings him back up to adulthood. Uh, so as to lure the X-Men there while they're doing that, he is going to attack, uh, Xavier as a result of this once, once, um, once Cyclops who was on his way realizes that that's the case, he orders them to retreat, um, and uh, so they head back to um, to uh, America to stop Eric the Red. So there are there are a bunch of things here we need to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> um, because first of all, so the implication for a long time has been first of all that when uh, when. Eric the Red accelerated his aging back to adulthood. He A, upped his power levels, and B, made him younger than he had been previously. 
which is why Magneto is still around and not like a decrepit old man, even though he's a Holocaust survivor. Um, in addition to that, we do have, as Magneto is leaving to go try and take over the world again, he passes by a door um, that says Mutant X and it's imply and it says that, you know, there's been some sort of breach in the door. We'll find out what that is later. Additionally, uh, we have the first appearance of the Star Jammers yeah. here. It's um, only with Ch- Corsair and Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we finally get a good look at Lalandra's face. Yeah. Um, there are a few things here and there that kind of, uh, kind of go nowhere or aren't really addressed. One is that, uh, so in reading about the, in reading about this to make sure there's nothing super interesting that I was missing, um, apparently it's also been implied heavily that when Eric the Red accelerated Magneto to adulthood. He did the same to the rest of the Brotherhood, uh, but that they all decided to leave. Um, So Mastermind will show up again, of course, during the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, But Eunice was there, blob, blah, blah, blah. Um, Additionally, Wolverine notices that uh, there was a cell for Dragonfly of the Animen who had served Count Nefaria during the um, the Im- storyline immediately post-Giant Size, okay. in which Thunderbird died. Right. Um, I was reading something that said that there had actually been a plan at one point by Dave Cockrum to do an all an all-woman superhero team. And that Dragonfly was going to be in that, as was Storm, but that that never went anywhere. Um, The one thing I do find interesting here is that in lieu of Cyclops being here, Banshee kind of steps into that role. Um, Yeah, I like how that was one of the things that struck me while I was reading it was I like how they're because while they're alone, while Cyclops isn't there, they don't have a, this, like, leadership structure, right? So, it kind of gets traded around, like, who's in charge, depending on the fight. Like, it's just whoever steps up that time, and so it's either Storm, or Banshee, or Colossus tries, he's not so great at it, um, in a couple of places, mostly previous issues. Um, And I just like that. Well, the last... The last storyline, Banshee couldn't. Banshee was too wrapped up in the Black Tom stuff yeah. to really be telling other people what to do. Yeah. Uh, this in this, he's just like, you know, he uh, steps in and he is on top of that shit. Yeah. Um, and we actually we also see some really cool stuff from him uh, later. Uh, the last thing is that. uh, Gene's parents show up um, at the end of this, but we'll get to that in a few. Uh, X-Men number 105 is inked by Bob Layton and lettered by Tom Orzakowski. Um, The X-Men 
return to the school, uh, but Eric the Eric the Red Eric the Red is there. Uh, as soon as they come in, Eric the Red is like, "Wait, I'm not your enemy, please!" Uh, but they attack him. We quickly find out that this is all part of Eric the Red's ruse, because he has duped Fire Lord into helping him by being like, oh, those X-Men, they just don't like aliens. Um, Which Uh I think is a really interesting tactic to use here because Fire Lord Lord has no reason to really give a shit about Earth. Um, But I like the idea that he agrees to it because he thinks the X-Men are out to kill all aliens. And that's that's interesting, but I don't know. It is um, it is interesting because it's uh, it's like Fire Lord's been around long enough that he he can see the eh. You know what? Never mind. I don't like where my brain is going. I'm just gonna kill that. Um, but like, well, I think I think if it had been the Silver Surfer then Eric the Red could have just been like, the X-Men are evil. And Silver Surfer would have been like, yeah, okay. Um, Whereas with Fire Lord, he can't just be like, the X-Men are evil, because Fire Lord would just be like, I don't see how that's my problem. Yeah. Um, Well, and we last left Fire Lord after a couple of Thor encounters where he was like, all right, I'm just hanging out, by the way. Like, I guess if you need me. Yeah. Thor, specifically you, Thor. You can call on me if you need anything, but I'm just going to wander around and see what this place is about. Uh, I really have no... He has no reason to stay on Earth other than it keeps Thor interested, therefore there must be something about this place. And he's he's just looking for that. Um, Yeah. But uh, we find out that Eric the Red had sort of sacrificed... His two pawns of Havoc and Polaris so as to enlist Fire Lord. Uh, so he left them behind when Fire Lord defeated them, but he used them to establish the whole the X-Men are evil and hate aliens. Um, we have some stuff in space with the Shi'ar and with a whole bunch of like Star Trek uh, references and stuff. Um the uh, Lalandra's ship is destroyed, but she's able to teleport to the planet. Um, the X-Men are defeated, and so Fire Lord goes after Xavier. Xavier is at Misty and uh, Jean's apartment with Jean's parents. Lalandra teleports in and the professor's just like, oh shit. And Jean Grey's parents are like, what is going on? And then Fire Lord shows up and they're like, what is going on? And then their daughter like turns into the Phoenix and starts firing time or fighting Fire Lord. And she's just, and they're just like, holy shit, what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, but yeah. So, <laughs> and this is Eric. I feel like this is the first time that Gene is doing Phoenixy shit, like upper tier Phoenixy shit, and like is kind of aware that she's doing. 
Like this is the first time she's done any real fi- because basically yeah. since since she became Phoenix, she burst out of the water and then she dropped. Yeah, and then she's been in the hospital and she hasn't really. This is the first time Phoenix has fought and she wrecks shop. Yeah, um, uh, she she literally blows. Uh, Fire Lord into New Jersey. Um, but Eric is able to grab Lalandra, get to the rooftop, and construct a a teleport gate um, and takes off. The portal closes and the X-Men are just like, well, what the hell are we going to do? So Phoenix uses her power to turn the gate back on and they're just like, okay, let's go. Um Xavier Misty, Xavier and Misty are left with Jean's parents who are just like, what is happening? <laughs> and uh, so uh, Fire Lord shows back up and he's just like, ah, where did they go? And Xavier's just like, they're trying to fix your fuck up. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Um there, there's a lot I really because yeah, like Jean, Jean takes on Fire Lord, and it may, it makes sense in retrospect from the standpoint of the Phoenix is a cosmic force, um, you know. Therefore, of course, she in, can take on another cosmic force user. Right, in the viewed through the viewed through the. Uh, the prism of this was meant to be gene. This is like, holy shit. You to, you fought a straight up Herald of Galactus, like single, single handedly. Um, Earth is not supposed to be, we shouldn't have people that can do that. Thor has a, Thor has a tough time with silver Surfer, right? Like, yeah. So like, the fantastic the fantastic four could not beat the silver surfer yeah the only thing that that uh beat the silver surfer was the power of empathy yeah like shalabal yeah shalabal beat the silver surfer uh yeah anyway so yeah uh x-men number 106 we can kind of whatever uh X-Men 106 has a cover by Dave Cockrum and Irving Watanabe and is written by Chris Claremont and Bill Mantlo, penciled by Dave Cockrum and the late Bob Brown, penciled by Dave Cockrum, or sorry, inked by Tom Sutton, colored by Andy Yanchis, uh, lettered by Joe Rosen and edited by Archie Goodwin and Marv Wolfman. Uh, I say the late Bob Brown, he had already died when this came out. Oh, so yeah. This was basically a fill-in issue that they then stuck a wraparound story on. So it starts with the professor just being like, oh man, things are bad. And then he tells Fire Lord to go fuck himself. And uh, uh, then it flashes back to a point uh, where he was having another attack because of the Lalandra thing. And as a result, his darker impulses manifested the original X-Men to fight the new X-Men 
and yada yada yada. Uh, um, and like it's because it's it's a filler issue with a wraparound. It's really difficult. It I still don't know. Is this a flashback or like a fever dream? It's a flashback to a thing that happened. It's a flashback to a fever dream. It's a flashback to something that happened because he was having a fever dream. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Yep. Anyway, like the the gist of the of the flashback is uh he had a fever dream. During the fever dream, he created telepathic versions of the previous X-Men or the the original X-Men and then had them fight the new X-Men and then there was a warped and twisted part of his psyche that it also manifest as real and he came into the danger room and stopped it all yeah that's it that's it um, not a lot happened here so it's it's a fight there's a, there's some okay nightcrawler stuff as far as fights fight stuff goes yeah uh, but it's it's mo- it's it's really inopportune because this comes right in the middle of a storyline after a major cliffhanger. Yeah. And uh, it's just kind of like, why are why are we doing this? Well, it's because it's late. Yeah, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a so, baby. Yeah. So uh, X-Men number 107 is. Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, sorry. <laughs> X-Men number 107 is, uh, has a cover by Dave Cockrum and Danny Crespi and is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Dave Cockrum, inked by Dan Green and edited by Archie Goodwin. Here we go. Uh, they find themselves transported to another world. Uh, once they arrive, they are just smack dab in the middle of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard and who are like, appearing here for the first time. It's like uh, um, the Macron Crystal. Guess what? We're here already. What the fuck, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is It is really easy to forget that this just jumps straight to um, the uh, right to this. See, now, my pronunciation has always been Mcron. But that's because, as I recall, that's how they said it in the X-Men, the animated series. Uh, And that's where I learned how to say it. So whatever. Um, But yeah, it's it's the first appearance of the crystal. uh, And Ken is there and he's just like, ha 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 ha. um, Evil, evil, evil. Um, There are nine stars that are in perfect alignment so as to allow Ken to obtain ultimate power uh this issue is primarily um the x-men fighting the imperial guard um and the imperial guard are sort of a take on the legion of superheroes um and so uh when things are not going super great for the X-Men because like Wolverine fights a a guardsman named Fang and takes his costume because Wolverine's gets blasted to shit. Yeah. Um, He's it's destroyed by a, 
uh, God, what was his name? Because they gave him a name. It's like Ember or something like that. Uh, yeah. But he gets straight up blasted with a shitload of fire by this guy. And is this like the first hintings at the healing factor kind of thing? Or am I, re- so, am I reaching? So, yes and no. Um, this is the first time that we see something that really, when when taken in light of the healing factor, you look at it and go, oh yeah, okay. Uh, because the first, the first mention of anything is resembling a healing factor is later on in the Savage Land when Wolverine says, I heal real quick. Um, okay. Or something along those lines. Uh, this is... This is the sort of thing that, technically speaking, him getting burned could just be the guardsman did not go far enough so as to actually hurt him. Now, the thing that actually implies a healing factor here is when he is punched into straight-up orbit. <laughs> yeah, you're um, right. <laughs> I forgot so... about that, idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah. Uh, okay. So, anyway. But, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So, the X-Men are initially doing well, but then the the size of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard and the fact that, I mean, their leader is, is Gladiator uh, means that they're going to lose. But then the Starjammers show up and... Uh, and the X-Men are just like, oh, okay, help, cool. Um, Phoenix does a quick mind scan of these people to find out what their deal is and discovers something about Corsair. Um, and then at the very end of this, there's a sudden pulse from the Emicron crystal and reality blinks out of existence for a second. Uh, we see a thing at the end where Peter Corbeau is talking to uh, Jimmy Carter and the Fantastic Four or whatever. And he's just like, that's real bad. That's real bad. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you feel about not existing for a for a moment, but uh, we all did it. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. something turned the universe off. I don't like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the this issue, like... This is leading us inexorably to X Men One Hundred Eight, where things, yeah, there's not, um, there's not a, there's not a ton that happens here except that Wolverine gets a funny costume because they were playing around, and I think they well were, the plan the plan had been, so Dave Cockrum designed this costume and had intended it as a new costume for Wolverine. I, I, it's I, only it, it very much felt that way and i was like yeah i was like okay that's not working but but i like where you're going there it just doesn't fit this dude uh yeah and they clearly were like well we'll just pocket this and come back to it later because it's it's saber like it's it's basically well, what you think of when you think of saber Sabretooth wears something similar and X-23 also wears it at one point. And Wild Child um, looks like is very much dressed that way too. Yeah. 
Um, but the, yeah, this was actually Dave Cockrum designed this and was like, Wolverine is going to wear this. However, in, uh, in X-Men 108, uh, John Byrne takes over as artist going forward and he hated it. So he's just like, nope. (laughs) And so when the X-Men get home, Byrne is just like, no more of this costume. Um, I would love to believe that there are there were days in the bullpen where an artist would come in and s- s- angrily scan the room, find someone, and just go, "You son of a bitch!" And uh, then they would have to be separated over yeah. shit like this. I bet that yeah. happened more often than I want than I would believe. <laughs> yeah, I don't. What the hell? Um, sorry, there's a lot of noise from upstairs. So if, if that's coming across, uh, that's okay. Um, uh, I apologize, but yeah. So X-Men 108, what do you got creative team? Uh, creative team for X-Men number 108 is, uh, there's a cover by Dave Cockrum and Annette Kowecki. It is penciled by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, lettered by Tom Orzakowski and Denise Wall. Um, so there's initially some, you know, uh, some interesting... Uh, oh, one thing I will say, I forgot, I forgot to mention about 107. Sorry. This is the 107 is the first time we see Nightcrawler teleport somebody else. Oh, yeah. And it kicks his ass. Yeah. He's like, Um, I'm just going to. I'm just going to lay down for a minute. Like he straight up is just like, I'm that sucked. Sorry. And it's 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 Lalandra that he teleports, who ostensibly has hollow bones. Like she probably weighs 50 pounds. And he's just like. Oh no. Um it's really good though. Anyway, all right, 108. Yeah. <clears throat> so 108 starts the Star Jammers and the X-Men fight the Imperial Guard. Um but ultimately what happens uh is that um the nine stars achieve alignment um and it's at that point uh, that the um, the X-Men and the Starjammers and everybody are confronted by Joff, who is the defender of the crystal. Um, he He's this weird... Joff is this weird little th- impy guy uh, that has like... He's got purple skin light purple hair but uh in the end it turns out that he's kind of an android um but he is the one that actually punches wolverine into orbit the star jammer's ship uh its robot pilot waldo is able to save him but, uh, yeah, Joff just straight up takes Wolverine out of the fight immediately. Um, 
the the X-Men and the Star Jammers fight against Joff, but they cannot do anything. So Banshee actually is the one who gets up close and it uses his sonic scream to completely scramble um the uh the joff's programming uh but in the process kind of strains his voice he um so the panel where he screams into joff's face is badass because yeah like banshee as a namesake sometimes he doesn't it, the, the screaming right yeah that's but yeah. most of the time that's about it he looks goddamn ghastly when he screams this way like yeah it's ghost face and it's awesome like it really yeah. fucking works um but this, this is this, this is one of those times banshee banshee doesn't get the credit he deserves um and i was remembering as i was reading through this i was like oh yeah banshee does a lot of awesome shit throughout the claremont run he cuts a fucking mountain in half yeah you know he winds up paying the price in situations like that because yeah but holy shit dude like awesome Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so yeah but then once they once they defeat Joff, it turns out there's another guardian. I like the idea that the Emcron crystal has just guardian after guardian after guardian and so like had nothing prevented it, they'd have had to fight again and again and again but the second guardian is a giant more robotic looking thing called Mott um but they don't even really fight Mott because in the course of things, Raza uh, fights Deken and winds up tossing him at the crystal, which causes him to disappear into it, at which point everyone is teleported inside. Um, once inside, it's a strange... Uh, landscape with a big sphere in the center of it. Uh, Phoenix touches it, at which point everyone is hit with this blast that causes them to have to face their um, their greatest fear. Um, when that, when that happens, Cyclops starts blasting away um she so phoenix puts him to sleep um at which point the the sphere starts to crack and phoenix phoenix then has to full-blown put this thing back together um and it's at this point that we really get an idea of the extent of how powerful gene gray is is because if this thing cracks it's going to give birth to a uh, neutron galaxy. Yeah. Um, so which will destroy the universe. I had completely forgotten like what was in the crystal because to me, like the thing that the crystal isn't that is housing is far. Le- I guess in my head, it was far less important than what happens here. Um, yeah. Because okay, so the 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 story goes that. 
the there's a neutron galaxy inside the crystal. If if it were to escape, it would essentially erase reality because gravity. And that the crystal itself and the ball inside of it are a extremely powerful and extremely complex mesh holding that gravity at bay and mm-hmm. feeding it so that it doesn't escape and it doesn't pull the rest of the universe into it. Okay, cool. She proceed. Jean proceeds to, or the Phoenix proceeds to, <laughs> uh, or but by entering it, the the mesh has begun to break down. Mm. Okay. Gene proceeds to go full fuck Phoenix, uh, use the, well, I guess it's Phoenix proceeds to go full fuck Phoenix and uh, not only repair the mesh, but also make it stronger so that the, um, the neutron galaxy is definitely not going to escape. Hooray. Uh, in, mm-hmm. While she's doing that, she realizes that she's pulling her own life force apart in order to do that. Uh, Storm steps up and is like, have some of mine. And she's like, I can't do that. And she's like, no, you're going to. Or Storm's like, no, you're going to. Uh, and at that point, uh, Corsair kind of pulls it together and is like, what is going on? And Jane's like, I need more than Storm. Get your ass over here. And he's like, uh, pass. She goes, do it or I'll tell Scott who you are. And he goes, mm-hmm. or no, he goes, she goes, uh, Major Summers, take my hand. She, yeah, she calls him Major Summers. And he's and... like, oh shit. And he does it, because now he's just way out of it. Um, yeah. And she puts the mesh back together, saves everybody. And, but uh, as she's on her way into the to the glowy orb, uh, she turns to Corsair and is like, take care of Scott, you're his father. I love him. Mm-hmm. Bye. And she goes in and she turns, he turns around and goes, that's fucking, oh shit. Uh, like, cause he thought they had all died. Um, yeah. Is that the story? He thought everybody died. Well, he saw his wife die. The kids they put, well, yeah, he saw his wife die because of the Shi'ar. When the plane was going down, he shoved his kids out with a parachute, so he had no idea what happened to them after that. Right, okay. Um, um, anyway, so, uh, end of issue, we we go home. And Fire Lord's yeah, like... At the, at the end of the issue, they come back to Earth, and they find... <laughs> um, Fire Lord has been standing guard over the gate, having been filled in on what happened. Um, and, uh, so yeah. Um, I love it. The very last words of this book are fantastic. There's a little banner at the bottom of the final panel after Lalandra comes through and everybody has a bit of a happy reunion, except for Jean's parents who are still completely befuddled. Um, that says this book is dedicated with respect and, and, and admiration to Dave Cochran, who helped make the dream a reality. I'm not dead, Dave Cochran. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they made it sound in memoriam, <laughs> yes. and Dave Cochran's like, I'm not dead. <laughs> Shut up, you've been mostly dead all day. Um, He's still moving around. Yeah, so, so Lalandra steps through the gate, 
uh, after they arrive back, and they're like, what are you doing here? And she explains that uh, while Deken is... Deken's mind was shattered by his experiences with the crystal. However, um, because she led an open revolt against the throne of the Shi'ar, while she is technically next in line, there's some stuff to work out. So while that's happening, uh, she, she and Xavier are basically two halves of the same soul. So she's going to stay on earth for the time being. Um, I love that so, yeah. that that brief look into the complicated nature of uh, Shi'ar empire hierarchy, and that and monarchy that she's like. So yeah, I did kind of lead a revolt, but I was also right. But I yeah, and I'm technically in, and the council knows that. But I should probably be arrested. But so they just decided to try and work it out. They'll work it out while I'm not a distraction. Right. Um, um, it's also so, yeah. fairly responsible on her part because, like, if she were around while they were working that out, it could be seen as though she was trying to, like, influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Right. It, it, is a, it is a good idea for her to not be there. Yeah. Just to aid the legitimacy. So, uh, yeah. Um, overall, like, this... Like I, like I said, it really is if it's been a while since you've since you've read this stuff, it can be really easy to forget how quickly this happens because it's literally been seven issues since Gene became Phoenix. Um well, and it's and it's just it's fucking it's just like 10 it's tw- uh I can't, I don't math well. It's 15 issues since, 15 or 16 issues since Giant, since giant Size. Like, yeah, holy it's shit. It's not been long at all. Um, so yeah, it's, because uh, it's been, yeah, 15, because 94. Yeah, 94. So, yeah. yeah. All right. 14 issues since that, and then 15 since Giant Size. So yeah, just, uh, these are just Friggin' packed. Um, all right. So, X-Men number 109 um, has a cover by Dave Cockrum, Terry Austin, and Irving Watanabe, and is lettered by Joe Rosen. Um, the X-Men arrive home. Um, Wolverine, as we've already established, is just like, fuck this costume, <laughs> and so he <laughs> takes it off. Um, the... There are several things that work here. So the 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 major plot of this issue is uh, Weapon Alpha from Department H, though they're not named here, from the Canadian government, comes to collect Wolverine. And he's just like, you don't just quit. And Wolverine's like, I did anyway. <laughs> and so... Uh, so that is the bulk of this. And at the end of it, uh, Weapon Alpha, who will eventually name himself Vindicator, um, is just like, okay, fine. Uh, but this isn't over. Uh, however, one of his, 
one of his shots ricochets off of Colossus and hits Moira. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what causes him to just be like, shit, this is way out of hand. Uh, because, yeah, he, Moira getting hit causes... Um, causes Angie to lose his shit. He blasts uh, Weapon Alpha... And Weapon Alpha is just like, I can't take on Wolverine and all of you. So whatever, I'm out. But uh, the rest of the issue is dealing with... uh, Gene knows that Corsair is Scott's father. Corsair specifically said, please don't tell him. Storm is like, well, you've got to tell him. And Gene's like, I know, but Corsair begged me not to. Um... Scott, I like, meanwhile, I sorry. like Storm. I like Storm's comment, which is like, "Okay, cool, cool that he begged you not to, and cool that you're doing that." Um, but what are you gonna do when he finds out? Like, let's not yeah. let's not play. Um, this is Scott's not the kind gonna of, find out, yeah. and he's gonna find out that you knew and did not tell him, and he's going to be something. He's going to be a certain way about it, and. You need to be prepared for whatever that is. And Gene's like, I'm sure I'll figure it out by then. And Storm being much more worldly than her is like, okay, sweetie, whatever you say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for you, but I I know better than that. I Um, recognize that you believe that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Scott is is saying that Jean has been so different since the, uh, since she became Phoenix. Um, and Scott, the thing that Nightcrawler. Yeah. I love Nightcrawler here because Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler shows up and, uh, he like tries to talk to Cyclops and Cyclops is just like, you don't understand what I've been through. I can't, like, my powers are always on. And Nightcrawler is just like, look, I'm not going to tell you to feel, or I'm not going to tell you not to feel the way you feel. The way you feel is valid. But if you want to compare hard luck stories, I'm for it. Like, let's <laughs> yeah. go, bro. Because <laughs> I've been, I've looked like this since the day I was fucking born, motherfucker. And yeah, Scott's well, just like. he. They, they accident, Bruce Claremont accidentally throws a, a, a conversation about passing in here on yeah. complete accident because it's just, it, that isn't what he means. You can tell that's not what he's meaning to do, but it, it's still very effective because he's like, look, man, I know you got it hard for what you do, but look at my fucking body. I can't yeah. just wander around like this. Yeah. And Scott's, and also he, he's in the middle of like taking a pretty hard line with the, you cannot l- allow these feelings to start destroying yourself or the people that you love because you feel bad. And yeah. he's in the middle of doing that, like laying some pretty thick knowledge and Sean comes in and is like, hey, picnic? And, and Scott, he literally turns around and is like, I love uh, Kurt's thought bubble here. He's basically like, God damn it, I could kill you. Uh, yeah. We were in the middle of it. And Sean's <clears throat> like, uh, shit. 
uh, was I in the middle of something? And uh, no, we were just talking and Kurt's like, God, I hope, God, I hope he doesn't like hate me for what I just said to him. Like we, that we kind of had things we needed to work through there. I hope that that's not about to blow up in my face. And uh, Scott is not an asshole about it. He, he it turns... seems to have been received the way Kurt intended. And yeah. yeah, so... Or at very least that he's like, I I do have things I need to think about. And yeah. Kurt, Kurt provided some information that I... That yeah, I should go mull over. So now I'm not going to come to the picnic, but... Uh, yeah, and it, so yeah, it seems like it's going, it's going okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting dichotomy. Uh, the, the thing about it is, so, you know, you were talking about the passing thing and this is why I think, uh, I think that people complain about X-Men having become also a a metaphor for the LGBT community, but that's always been there to a certain extent, simply by virtue of things like Nightcrawler. Um, but it also works for racism, because there is the whole question of light-skinned versus dark-skinned people of color and stuff like that, and... It is, but purely, if you look at it purely from the, in the context of superpowers, because there's a lot that can be said about X-Men as people of color and X-Men as uh, a metaphor for the LGBT community and so on. There are people who have done that and have done it far better than I possibly could. Um, I will say that there's an interesting thing to be had here purely from the from the standpoint of superpowers in terms of, yeah, Nightcrawler's had it harder in terms of he can never walk down the street as himself. However, Nightcrawler does not have to worry about losing control of his abilities and hurting someone he loves. So it's a bit of six of one, half dozen of the other, because it's like, yeah, like Cyclops can never know what Nightcrawler's going through, but Nightcrawler can never know what Cyclops is going through. They're too very different situations and so i don't know it's it's interesting but i really i really do i do love that nightcrawler straight up jackhammers some perspective into cyclops skull and it's great um Uh, and that he his his point really is like, I mean, I can't, I can't do that, right? Like, I can't just wander around public the same way that I am now without getting accosted. But I don't let it get to me. like that's his whole. That's part of his point as well. I might be, I might right. be occasionally, 
occasionally crazy, but I'm not insane, like, is, like, the way that he means that he's not internalizing right, right. all of this. He's not... Sorry, I did not mean to indicate that that was the sole purpose. He no, 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 no. drives yeah. home the perspective so as to lead to things suck, but yes, exactly. Yeah. It's about how you approach it. You I cannot. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't trying to be contrarian. I was just being like, that's a. It's an interesting thing that their their whole conversation here is four panels long, right? But a whole lot of cool things to unpack. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, even though ultimately this issue is just kind of like Vindicator is there for a minute. And then he's like, this isn't over. Um, and though I will say this is the first mention of Wolverine as Weapon X. Um, yes. Uh, and that's really cool. So. Specifically called Weapon X. And then the, like the last thing I want to touch on, I think, before the end of this before we wrap this up is uh wolverine comes back in as they're preparing to leave for the picnic wolverine comes back in and is like i don't think i'll picnic but uh your guys are going my way do you mind if i hop in the car with you i'm gonna go hunt and moira and storm are like uh hunting that's not cool and kind of lay into him and he's like hey i said hunt not kill kill is easy Hunting is hard, and uh, I'm training, basically. And it's nice to get a little bit of Wolverine is not just a cold-blooded murderer out of this book. Because we had the, yeah, we had been kind of towing that line. There's been a lot of stress in, since Wolverine arrived, uh, but he's got a smile on his face before they lay into him, and then he's like, hey... I thought we were all cool. Why are you being dicks? But yes. Yeah. And she ends up, you know, Storm ends up apologizing and he's like, you know, just watch it. Yeah. Right? Like you're asking me to not judge. Maybe chill a little on your own, please. They, go, okay. so the, the Wolverine thing here, I like in concept. Uh, they really do go back and forth on, Wolverine as far as the whole red in tooth and claw kind of thing. Uh, because it's like, he's like, I don't kill, I hunt. And then he hunts all the time, but whatever. It's, yeah. it is what it is. Like, it's a very cool character moment. And if they'd stuck with that, I think I would have liked it a whole lot more. But the <sighs> fact that they go all over the place with it is whatever. Um, it's- it's Wolverine. Yeah, I know. I know. And yeah, expecting consistency from the way Wolverine is handled is kind of irrational at this point, but whatever. Um, Marvel Spotlight number 33 is our last book of the week, and woof, what a way to end things. Uh, cover by Rich Buckler, written by David Kraft, penciled by Rich Buckler, Mike Nasser, and Arvel Jones, inked by Klaus Janssen, colored by Don Warfield, uh, lettered by Howard Bender and Beth Blackley, um, edited by Archie Goodwin. The thing I will say here, I guess the... the Who, who did you say wrote this? Uh, David Kraft. So, this must be a story that David Kraft really wants to tell. Because 
this is now a Deathlock story over about two or three different titles. Yeah. So, a couple things I want to say here. Number one, the lettering duties. Howard Bender wrote the dialogue. Beth Blackley, I guess, is the one who did the computer yep. dialogue. So, yeah. Um, the last time we saw Deathlock in a, Astonishing Tales number 36, he gets teleported away by the character Godwolf because Godwolf is just like, I don't want to deal with you. Um, this is where he goes. Um <sighs> The short version of this is there's some asshole named uh, Devil Slayer. Um, Devil Slayer's deal is he joined a cult after the military. Um, The cult, it turns out, is all about bringing demons to Earth. So he defected and uses their own... uh, tools specifically like his cape and shit he got from them uh against them um he returns to new york to talk to his ex-wife uh deathlock winds up teleported to the same hospital where he is going to see his ex-wife because she's she works there um they have a run-in Devil Slayer's ex-wife looks like Deathlock's ex-wife. So, yeah, misinformation, misunderstanding. They first fight, they initially fight in the stairwell because Devil Slayer is convinced that uh, Deathlock is a demon um, and Deathlock can't get him to slow down for a minute so that he can explain that he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Uh or where he is, or when he is. And then... So... Then the next time they fight, it's because Deathlock has grabbed a hold of Demon Slayer's ex-wife, thinking it's his ex-wife, and too shocked to, like, put it together that she's not. Demon Slayer comes back, and they fight each other, but also the real demons show up, and then they fight... They kind of put their shit aside, fight the real demons... Uh, and oh, also, um, there's an interlude about uh, who cares? Somebody who stri- cares? Striker's brother, yeah, Hel- Heli Helithon. We Hellinger, yeah, we, Hellinger. We we do not care. He, it's not really relevant. We've talked about Hellinger in the past, and I do not care. The uh, at the it end ends with of them this, beating the demons. They defeat the demons, and Devil Slayer's like, hey, thanks, and Deathlock's like, no problem, and then he fades away. Uh, Deathlock only realizes he's in the present because the buildings aren't destroyed. He's like, oh my god, this is a pre-Armageddon New York. Um, The one thing I will say here, so apparently Rich Buckler... Rich Buckler launched a book... Uh, called Demon Hunter at Atlas Comics. He got one issue out and then Atlas Comics went out of business. So he reworked it into Devil Slayer here. And then he winds up 
revisiting the concept somewhere else. And it's just like, dude, just no, 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 no. I don't even know if Devil Slayer ever even shows up again. I'm honestly not. Uh, let me see here. But yeah, the uh, the upshot of all of this is this is an annoying. This is an annoying aside um, that ultimately serves no purpose. He has 40, he appears in 44 issues, which is ultimately 43 more than I ever thought he would. Um, so the, the, the interesting thing is... I do want to say he appears in Contest of Champions, so apparently we're using the word champion real loosely here. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Um, it's not interesting in a good way. It's interesting in a I wonder what they were thinking and why uh, way that we basically well maybe I do maybe I can guess why but Deathlock this Deathlock story ends up translating through a couple of different books. Like I went ahead and looked at what the reading uh, list was for next week, and it's essentially the rest of this Deathlock story, and then some other stuff um and i don't know because next week's two and one and then after that is cap cap is it cap i know deathlock shows up in cap and that's where they sort of they wind up preventing the future deathlock comes from um, next week is two and one and then another two and one so it's two two and ones and then we're done with this and then maybe Deathlock goes somewhere else uh but there's also there's some net there's some it's a lot of two and one next week with nick fury um and maybe black widow i don't know anyway it doesn't matter uh the thing i have it's like i don't know that i like this story, this Deathlock thing, and I know that they're desperately trying to get me to like it. That's why he's showing up in so many other places, is so that maybe they can get him his own book. They can start making the justification to editorial to get him his own book. And it's just not working. Yeah. Um, it's It sucks because Deathlock's kind of fun, but the stories aren't great. Like, yeah. Yeah. I um, just yeah. this feels like an unnecessary aside because he's not even he's not even like him appearing in Marvel 2 and 1. All right. Like let's let's put him let's put him with thing and see how it works out. And then like right. him appearing in Captain America. All right. It's Cap. Cool. Whatever. Uh him appearing in an issue of Spotlight so that Rich Buckler can try to launch some other shitty character he has. I'm just like, I don't care. I don't want to read this. Why am I reading this? Why do you... Why? <laughs> Why do you hate me? Why do you make me hurt you? <laughs> um, is what Because I, I don't want to... I don't want to be angry at at a book. I don't want to be angry at a book. And they, 
It makes me angry. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. Top Five. Full disclosure, I cheated. I don't care. Number five. Because uh, it's too much fun. Uh, Misty straight up poning Bulldozer. Because that was rad. Uh, mm-hmm. She just olays his ass directly into a wall behind her by using her momentum, or his momentum and her bionic arm, and it's hysterical. Uh, mm-hmm. Number four, <laughs> something we didn't touch on, but Nightcrawler, we didn't touch on, but Nightcrawler did. Uh, the X-Men destroy every vehicle they step into. Yeah. Um, anytime they get into a car, hovercraft, plane, doesn't matter, it explodes. Yeah. Um, in these four, eight issues or whatever we read. Well, it does. It becomes a running joke in Claremont's run that yeah. they will never uh, be able to <laughs> land properly anywhere. Uh, number three. Carol gets to riff and have fun is what I have written here. And that's basically the... None of the other uh, women superheroes, with the exception of... Greer, as the cat, get to have as much fun being... Like, she doesn't get to riff and, like... Like, the joke about the tape deck is so good. Like, it's just... From all the other heroes get to do that shit all the time. Like, the, the men heroes get to do that shit all the time. We be- we rarely get it from the fe- from the women because they have to... Like, we're very serious superhero ladies. And it's like, just let them have fun, too. It's fine. Um, or they I have like to it. be the mom. Like, yeah, like they have Sue. to be the den mother for yeah. all the the pants wedding men of the team. Which is what which is what Black Widow has to do in Champions. Uh, yeah. everybody shut the everybody shut your ass and sit down. Uh, just shut up. Okay, now here's what we're gonna do. Hercules, no, shut up. Shut up. Um uh number two, uh the Miss Marvel and Vision fight. Because it does a lot of really good work to explain, like, what her power level is, what her strategery, strategery, (sighs) strategies, capabilities are, and... Was that not an... Was that... Did you honestly say strategery? I hate myself. I'm just... I'm just asking. I'm not judging. I'm just asking. I did on accident, yes. Okay. I just, I, I legitimately thought that was a George W. Bush joke or something. No, no. Um, okay. No, that's fine. I was just asking. It's a good fight. Moving on. And then number one is my cheat. Holy shit. All the X-Men stuff. Like, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't really just pick out one and be like, this is the, the main thing that I'm the most excited about by all of this. It's just all of it. Because, like, the setup for Proteus being a throwaway panel of just Magneto walking away. Like, I'm only excited about some of this stuff because I know what it is. But even just all of the the Macron Crystal fight and, like, all the politics and stuff around that, like, that was really cool. Uh, 
Xavier losing his shit again. Like, mm-hmm. just, it's so, the, when, even in 109 when they get home and they're just like immediately split up and go do their own goddamn thing for five minutes because I've been around with these people for far too long. Yeah. Uh, and I had too much of a goddamn stress with them that I just need to go make a rain shower in the goddamn greenhouse that mm-hmm. Moira was trying to take care of but didn't do a great job. Uh, like, that stuff's great. And mm-hmm. I don't care that I cheated. So, yeah, that's me. Fair enough. I, I could not, I could not decide. I, I had a really hard time because, you know, I grew up reading X-Men. And so this era of X-Men excites me because there is so much cool stuff being done. And I, so I have a hard time. It's one of those things. I have a hard time ranking all of the stuff this week and not having it all be X-Men. It's so hard. It's so hard. Um, so with that in mind, uh, number five, Wolverine gets punched into orbit. Um, <laughs> I I like the fact the 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 fact that uh, number one sin, now that Wolverine is fucking Wolverine, the idea that Wolverine gets removed from such a pivotal fight, like you don't see him again, yeah, for the rest of everything, whereas. If they were to do this storyline now, Wolverine would get punched into orbit and then through sheer force of will claw his way back to the battlefield and then be the thing that saves the day because he's goddamn Wolverine and you will like it. Whereas here it's just like he gets knocked out and then that's it for him. He's gone. (laughs) We don't even see what happens to him. We don't see him get loaded into the ship and like taken down to med bay and taped up. We just don't see him after he's rescued. Um, so yeah, number four is, uh, nightcrawler shuts Cyclops, the Cyclops, the fuck down. Yeah. Uh, because it's really, it's really effective. Like he doesn't, he doesn't just do it to be an asshole. He doesn't just do it to be like, I'm sadder than you. No. He does it. He does it. He does it. And then he's just like, so when I say you want to compare hard luck stories, let's do it. But I'm not telling you this to say I'm sadder than you. Yeah. I'm telling you this to say you can be sad but don't be an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. You can and, you can have these feelings. They are valid. I'm not yeah. trying to tell you that. I'm trying to tell you you should not allow them to pollute the rest of your relationships because that's yeah. what you're doing. And he was like Oh, shit because that's what he was doing like scott was just standing there watching 
Jean disappoint her parents and thinking about how she's changed and that means our relationship's over and blah, like just jumping to shitloads of weird conclusions and being a fatalist about it. And he comes in and he's like, okay, all right, I hear you. But like, what are you really upset about? And yeah, it's a great conversation, especially just because it, because it takes place over four goddamn panels. Yeah. Like so much happens. Yeah. It is. It's phenomenal. And it's, and I it's love it. Not, it's not a fight. Like, you can tell from their... And, like, you know, credit goes to the artists as well here is because he, body language from Nightcrawler is very, like, hands up. I'm not trying to fight you. Hands up in front of him. Being, like, mm-hmm. like just the way that he's standing and the way that uh, Cyclops has got his back turned to him as he's talking about this shit. It's all really good. Four pants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number three uh, is is uh, kind of a tie. Um, so, on the one hand, I like what they did with Corsair here, where with the reveal that he's Cyclops' father. Yeah. Um. And the fact that um, we didn't really address it. The reason Jean gives Storm for why she doesn't just flat out tell Scott is because Corsair's been through some shit. Um, she, She saw into his mind and she saw the things he went through. And eventually, as time passes, we'll find out more about that. But the reason she doesn't tell Scott out and out is because, you know, Corsair has to deal with finding this out and has to come to it in his own time. And I like the fact that it's it's treated as though it's not just it has to be Corsair that tells him it's that I'm respecting, I'm respecting what Corsair wants because his trauma is so great that to, to take away, not only to take away what should be a joyous reunion from him and make it some do it on my terms would not be fair, but also like finding out Scott is his son could almost be as traumatic as everything else. (laughs) Like I, it's a lot. It's, there's a lot of things at work here and it's great character work on Chris Claremont's part. Yeah. And I was going to say the other thing, like to your first point there, it's this man, Corsair's gone through enough trauma that removing control of something like this is just another cruelty. Like he, yeah. you can't, yes, it's a little selfish, but like he's, and I'm not saying anyone's earned the right to be that kind or selfish, but like, 
she's and I like the fact that Jean is basically like she's in the conversation with Storm she's like I know and it's gonna be bad and I'm willing to take that um, because I think that that this is important and when it comes out we'll we'll work through it together you know all three of us now involved right well and and the thing that looking at it i feel like the thing is if if she tells scott if she tells scott before corsair is ready then what's going to happen is scott will have scott will have that initial realization of corsair's my father my father's alive what what and by the next time Corsair and Cyclops see each other, Cyclops will have worked through the surprise and elation and everything else. And the first time he sees Corsair, he's going to want to know where the fuck were you? Why weren't you there? And by doing that, she's robbing him of that that oh my god you're my father you're alive and that hug and that what happened where were you know like how how and like the tears of joy and like all of that she's taking that away from both of them the what happened to mom and them working together through that like that shared grief thing that they need to do together and yeah responsibly with alex as well but you know yeah and also there's a third brother, never mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like he, you're right that if she tells him now, then the next time they meet him, it'll skip right to the anger part. Right. Like they, they deserve to have the happy part first. Yeah. Get to the angry part and then work together, work through that together because, and probably work to that through that together more uh steadfast is not the right word but like cohesively because they had the happy part together yeah Um, yeah all right so that's one part of (laughs) one part of it the other part is gene's parents because they have no idea they are totally on they're just like our daughter's gone to a school and like she's doing really well and now she lives in the city and like it's just like oh shit that guy's on fire and so's our (laughs) daughter and now there's aliens teleporting in and like (laughs) and they're just like oh and our daughter like and our daughter's roommate has a gun i don't know if i feel safe around that (laughs) yeah uh so yeah so both both corsair and gene's parents are uh are number was that three i think you're three yeah yeah i think that was it number two is misty wrecking bulldozer and number one uh i like john burns art across the board this week but John Byrne coming on to X-Men makes me happy because I really like his uh, run on X-Men. So, yeah. So, 
Uh, next week, as you said, we have a bunch of Marvel 2-in-1, a bunch of Defenders, and then a lone issue of Iron Fist. Uh, so whatever. Um, in the meantime, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on, both individually and collectively at, at Watchers Guide MU. Uh, visit our website at watchersguide.com or email us at watchersguide at gmail.com. Uh, take care of yourselves, wash your hands, be nice to the people in your lives and out on, out in the world. Uh, and have a marvelous week. Bye.